Chapter Five of The Mystery Girl by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, The Tragedy. That same Sunday evening, the Waring household dined alone. Oftener than not, there were guests, but tonight there were only the two Paytons, Lockwood, and John Waring himself. Ito, the butler had holiday Sunday afternoon and evening, and Nogi, the second and less experienced man, was trying his best to satisfy the exactions of Mrs. Peyton as to his service at table. Helen Peyton was in a talkative mood and commented volubly on the caller of the afternoon, Miss Austin. She met little response, for her mother was absorbed in the training of the Japanese, and the two men seemed indisposed to pursue the subject. "'Don't you think she's odd-looking?' Helen asked of Dr. Waring. "'Odd-looking,' he repeated. "'I don't know. I didn't notice her especially. She seemed to me a rather distinguished type.' "'Distinguished is the word,' agreed Lockwood. "'What about the lecture tomorrow night, doctor? Will Fessenden take care of it?' "'No, I must lecture myself tomorrow night. I'm sorry, for I'm busy with that book revision. However, I'll look up some data this evening, and I shall be ready for it.' "'Of course you will,' laughed Mrs. Peyton. "'You were never caught unready for anything.' "'But it means some work,' Waring added, as he rose from the table. He went into the study, followed by Lockwood, whose experience made him aware of what books his chief would need, and he began at once to take them from the shelves. "'Right,' Waring said, looking over the armful of volumes Lockwood placed on the desk and seating himself in the swivel chair. "'Bring me Marcus Aurelius, too, please, and Marshall.' "'The classic touch,' Lockwood smiled." "'Yes, it adds dignity, if one is a bit shy of material,' Waring admitted good-naturedly. "'That's all, Lockwood. You may go if you like.' "'No, sir, I'll stay until eleven or so. I'm pretty busy with the reports, and, too, someone may call whom I can take care of.' "'Good chap you are, Lockwood. I appreciate it. Very well, then. Don't bother me unless absolutely necessary.' The secretary left the room and closed the study door behind him. This door gave on to the end of the cross hall, and the hall ended then in a roomy window seat, and also held a book rack and table. Altogether a comfortable and useful nook, frequently occupied by Gordon Lockwood. The window looked out on the beautiful lake view, as did the great study window and it also commanded a view of the high road on which stood, not far away, the Adams boarding house. Lockwood lodged there as being more convenient, but most of his waking hours were spent in his employer's home. A perfect secretary he had proved himself to be, for his prescience amounted almost to clairvoyance, and his imperturbability was exceedingly useful in keeping troublesome people or things away from John Waring. So he determined to stay on guard, lest a chance caller should come to disturb the doctor at his work. 
but Lockwood's own work was somewhat neglected. Try as he would to concentrate upon it, he could not entirely dismiss from his mind a certain mysterious little face whose meaning eluded him. For once, Gordon Lockwood, reader of faces, was baffled. He couldn't classify the girl who was both rude and charming, both cruel and pathetic. For cruelty was what this expert read in the knowing eyes and firm little mouth of Miss Mystery. And because of this indubitable element in her nature, he deemed her pathetic, which shows how much she interested him. At any rate, he thought about her while his work waited. And then he thought of other things, for he had troubles of his own, had this supercilious young man. And troubles which galled him the more that they were sordid. Money troubles, in fact. His whole nature revolted at the mere thought of mercenary considerations, but if one is short of funds, one must recognize the condition, distasteful though it be. At nine-thirty, Nogi came with a tray bearing water and glasses. Under the watchful eye of Mrs. Peyton, the Japanese tapped at the study door and, in response to the master's bidding, went in with his tray. He left it punctiliously on the table directed, and with his characteristic bow, departed again. At ten-thirty, Mrs. Peyton and Helen went upstairs to their rooms, the housekeeper having given Nogi strict and definite instructions, which included his remaining on duty until the master should also retire. And the night wore on. A clear, cold night, with a late-rising moon, past the full, but still with its great yellow disk nearly round. It shone down on what seemed like fairyland, for the sleet storm that had covered the trees with a coating of ice and had fringed eaves and fences with icicles had ceased and left the glittering landscape frozen and sparkling in the still cold air. And when, some hours later, the sun rose on the same chill scene, its rays made no perceptible impression on the cold, and the mercury stayed down at its lowest winter record. And so even the stolid Japanese Ito shivered, and his yellow teeth chattered as he knocked at Mrs. Peyton's door in the early dawn of Monday morning. "'What is it?' she cried, springing from her bed to unbolt her door. "'Grave news, madam!' and the Oriental bowed before her. "'What has happened? Tell me, Ito.' "'I am not sure, madam, but the master—' "'Yes, what about Dr. Waring?' "'He is—he is asleep in his study.' "'Asleep in his study? Ito, what do you mean?' "'That, madam. His bed is unslept in, his room door ajar.' I looked in the study, through from the dining room. He is there by his desk. Asleep, Ido? You said asleep. Yes, madam, but I do not know. And Nogi, he is gone. Gone? Where to? That also I do not know. Will madam come and look? No, I will not. I knew something would happen. Ido, he is not asleep. He is... Don't say it, madam. We do not know. 
Find out. Go in and speak to him. But the door is locked. I tried it. Locked? The study door locked and Dr. Waring still in there? How do you know? I peeped from the dining room window, and I could see him leaning down on his desk. From the dining room window? What do you mean? The small little inside windows. Madam knows? The study had been added to the Waring house after the house had been built for some years. Wherefore, the dining room, previously with a lake view from its windows, was cut off from that view. But the windows, three small square ones, remained, and so looked into the new study. However, the study, a higher ceiling being desired, had its floor sunken six feet or more, which brought the windows far too high to see through from the study side, but one could look through them from the dining room. The original sashes had been replaced by beautiful stained glass, opaque save for a few tiny transparent bits through which a persistent and curious-minded person might discern some parts of the study. The stained glass sashes were immovable, and were there more as a decoration than for utility's sake. And it was through these peepholes that Ito had discovered the presence of Dr. Waring in his study at the unusual hour of seven o'clock in the morning. The Japanese, true to his tribal instinct, showed no agitation, and his calm demeanor helped to soothe Mrs. Peyton. But as she hastily dressed herself, she decided upon her course of action. Her first impulse was to call her daughter, but she concluded not to disturb the girl. Instead, she telephoned to Gordon Lockwood and asked him to come over as soon as he possibly could. Old Salt took the message and transmitted it to the secretary. "'What's the matter over there?' asked Lockwood. Don't know. Mrs. Peyton seemed all on edge, as far as I could judge from her voice, but she only said for you to come over. All right. I'll go as soon as I can get dressed. Once out of doors, Lockwood couldn't fail to be impressed with the beauty of the morning landscape. One of the most beautiful bits of New England scenery, it was newly lovely in its sheath of ice. Lockwood's hasty steps crunched through the crusted snow, and he hurried over to the Waring house. Ido opened the door for him, and Mrs. Peyton met him in the hall. "'Something has happened to Dr. Waring,' she said at once. "'He stayed in the study all night.' "'Why? What do you mean?' asked the secretary. "'Just that. His room door is still open, and his bed hasn't been slept in. Also, Ito says he can see him in the study, through the dining-room window. I... I haven't looked. Why don't you go in? The study door is locked. Locked? And Dr. Waring's still in there? Yes, I think he must have had a stroke or something. Nonsense. He's just asleep. He's overworked of late, anyway. "'Well, I'm glad you're here,' and Mrs. Peyton looked relieved. "'You see about it, Mr. Lockwood, won't you?' 
the secretary went first to the study door. He rapped, and then he tried the door, and then rapped again, very loudly. But no response came, and Lockwood returned to the dining room. "'Can you see through that glass?' he asked in surprise, noting the thick, leaded mosaic of pieces. "'Yes, sir, through this corner.' Ito directed him, and, peering through, Lockwood discerned the figure of John Waring. He sat at his desk, his body fallen slightly forward, and his head drooped on his breast. "'Sound asleep,' said Lockwood, but his tone carried no conviction. Mrs. Peyton knew well the man's disinclination to show any emotion, and despite of his calm, she was almost certain he shared her own belief that John Waring was not merely asleep. "'We must get to him.' Lockwood said, after a moment's pause. "'Can you get through one of these windows, Ito, and unbolt the door?' "'No, sir. These windows do not open at all.' "'Not open? Why not?' Save to remark the beauty of their color and design, Lockwood had never before noticed the windows especially, and was genuinely surprised to discover that they could not be opened at all. "'Of what use are they?' he mused aloud. "'They give very little light.' "'They were outside windows before the study was built,' Mrs. Peyton told him. "'And when the stained glass was put in, it was merely for decoration, and the panes were not made movable.' "'Well, we must get in,' said Lockwood almost impatiently. "'How shall we do it? You, Edo, must know how.' "'No, sir, there is no way, unless the long window is unfastened.' The long French window, really a double door, was on the other side of the study, exactly opposite the useless high windows that gave into the dining room. To reach it one must go out and around the house. "'It is very bad snow,' Ido shrugged. "'You heathen!' Lockwood exclaimed scornfully, and himself dashed out at the front door and around to the side of the house. Mrs. Peyton started to follow, but the secretary bade her go back, lest she take cold. He reached the French window only to find it locked on the inside. He could not see in through its curtained panes, and impulsively he raised his foot and kicked through the glass at a point high enough to allow of his putting in a hand and turning back the latch. He went into the room, and after the briefest glance at the man by the desk, he went on and unbolted the door to the hall. Helen had joined her mother and Ito, and the three stood cowering on the threshold. "'He is dead.' Gordon Lockwood said, in a calm, unemotional way. "'But not by a stroke. He has killed himself.' "'How do you know?' Mrs. Peyton cried, her eyes staring and her face white. "'Go away, Helen,' Lockwood said. "'Go back into the living room and stay away.' And willingly the girl obeyed. "'Come in, Mrs. Peyton.' Lockwood went on. You must see him, though it will shock you. 
See, the flow of blood is dreadful. He stabbed or shot himself. Conquering her aversion to the sight, Mrs. Peyton, from a sense of duty, drew nearer, and as Lockwood had said, the condition of the body was terrible indeed. Wounded, apparently in the side of the head, Waring had fallen forward in such a way that the actual wound was concealed, but the fact was only too apparent that he had bled to death. The blotter on the desk and many of the furnishings were crimsoned, and there was a large and dark stain on the rug. "'He is positively dead,' said Lockwood, in cool, even tone. "'So I advise that we do not touch the body, but send at once for Dr. Greenfield. He will know best what to do.' "'Oh, you cold-blooded wretch!' Mrs. Peyton burst forth uncontrollably. "'Have you no feelings whatever?' You stand there like a wooden image when the best man in the world lies dead before you. And you, Ito, she turned on the awestruck butler, you're another of those impassive, unnatural creatures. Oh, I hate you both. The housekeeper ran from the room and was soon closeted with her daughter, who at least showed agitation and grief at the tragedy that had occurred. The two she had called impassive stood regarding one another. "'Who did it, master?' inquired the Japanese calmly. "'Who did it?' Lockwood stared at him. "'Why, he did it himself, Ido.' Otherwise immovable, the Oriental shook his head in dissension, but Lockwood was already at the telephone and heeded him not. Dr. Greenfield consented to come over at once, and Lockwood, going to the living room, advised the Peytons to have breakfast, as there was a terrible ordeal ahead of them. "'I'll have some coffee with you, if I may,' he went on. "'Brace up, Helen. It's pretty awful for you, but you must try to be a brave girl.' A grateful glance thanked him for the kindness, and Lockwood returned quickly to the study. "'What are you doing?' he said sternly, as he saw Ito bending over the dead man. "'Nothing, sir,' and the butler straightened up quickly and stood at attention. "'Leave the room, and do not return here without permission. Serve breakfast to the ladies. Where is Nogi?' "'He is gone, sir.' "'Gone where?' "'That I do not know.' Last night he was here, now he is gone. I know no more. You don't know anything. Get out. Yes, sir. Left to himself, Gordon Lockwood gazed thoughtfully about the room. He did not confine his attention to the bent figure of his late employer, nor even to the desk or its nearby surroundings. He wandered about looking at the windows, the floor, the furniture. One chair, standing rather near the desk, he looked at intently. An expression of bewilderment came into his face, followed by a look of dismay. Then, after a cautious, almost furtive glance about him, he passed his hand quickly over the plush back of the chair, rubbing it hard with a scrubbing motion. 
Then he looked about the room even more eagerly and carefully, and finally sat down in the same plush chair to await the doctor's arrival. Helen Peyton came timidly to the door to ask him to come to breakfast. "'No, Helen,' he answered. "'My place is here until the doctor comes. Eat your breakfast, child, and try to throw off your distress.' It will do you no good to brood over it. You can be of real help if you keep brave and calm, but it will be quite otherwise if you get hysterical. He did not see the adoring glance she gave him, nor did he realize how much effect his words had on her subsequent behavior, for Helen Peyton was suffering from shocked nerves, and only Lockwood's advice would have been heeded by her. She returned to the dining room, saying quietly, "'Gordon will come after a while. Let us eat our breakfast, mother, and try to be brave and strong.' It was not more than fifteen minutes later that Lockwood joined them. He took his seat at the table, and as he shook out his breakfast napkin, he said, "'Dr. Greenfield is there now. He says Dr. Waring was stabbed, not shot.' He says the instrument was round and pointed, not flat like a knife. "'Who did it?' asked Helen, wide-eyed. "'It must have been suicide, Helen, for as you know, the room was locked. How could anyone get in or out?' "'But how absurd to think of Dr. Waring killing himself!' The girl looked more amazed than ever. "'He never killed himself.' stated Mrs. Peyton. Why, you know that man had everything to live for. Just about to be married, just about to be president of the college, full of life and enthusiasm. Suicide? Nonsense. I'm only telling you what the doctor said, and you know yourselves the room was all locked up. Yes, that's so. Edo, leave the room. Mrs. Peyton spoke sharply to the butler, who was quite evidently drinking in the conversation. "'He must not hear all we say,' she observed after the butler had disappeared. "'What's this about Nogi being gone?' asked Lockwood suddenly. "'Yes, he's gone,' Mrs. Peyton said, "'and I can't understand it. I didn't think he'd stay. He didn't like the duties at all.' You know he's just learning to be a butler. But queer he went off like that. His wages are due for three weeks. He'll be back then, surmised Lockwood. Now, what shall we do first? The faculty must be notified of this tragedy, and also Mrs. Bates must be told. Which of you two will go and tell Mrs. Bates about it? You go, Helen said her mother after a moment's thought. I ought to be here to look after the house, and anyway, dear, you can do it wisely and gently. Mrs. Bates likes you, and after all, it can soon be told. Oh, I can't, cried Helen, dismayed at the thought of the awful errand. Yes, you can, and Lockwood looked at her with a firm kindliness. You want to be of help, don't you, Helen? 
"'Well, here's one thing you can do that'll be of great assistance to your mother and to me, for on us too must fall most of the sad duties of this day.' "'But what can I say? What can I tell her?' "'Just tell her the facts as far as you know them yourself. She will guess from your own agitation that something has happened, and then you will tell her as gently as you can. Be a true woman, Helen.' and remember that though your news must break her heart, yet she'd far rather hear it from you than from some less sympathetic messenger. "'I'll do it,' said Helen, struggling bravely to keep her tears back. "'That's a good girl. Run right along now, for ill news flies fast, and rumors may get to her before you reach there.' "'Now about that nogi,' Lockwood said thoughtfully. "'Call Ito back, please, Mrs. Peyton.' "'When did you see Nogi last?' the secretary asked of the butler. "'When I came home last night, sir. Sunday is my holiday. I returned about ten, and as I found Nogi with his duties all properly done and at his post, I went to bed.' I found this morning that he had not been in his bed at all. His clothes are gone, and all his belongings. I think he will not come back. End of chapter 5